Welcome to Tabletop Players, my name is Ruin Ortega, and tonight I am your judge because we are playing Dungeon Crawl Classics by Goodman Games. Joined with me as always is my co-host Cade. Hi, I'm Cade. Uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics is a fantastic tabletop role-playing game that harkens back to the early days of the genre. Some of its most prominent features are the fact that your players get to roll multiple characters, it's got a punishing difficulty level, and uh, it's just, it's, it's, there's no frills. It's just the basics cut right to it, just like the earliest versions of tabletop role-playing games, and we had a great time playing it. If you want to hear that, listen to last week's episode. Absolutely. And, you know, in this episode, we get right into how this system may be a little bit controversial to some, but ultimately, we walked away with having a great time playing it, and we hope you'll have a good time listening to our review. Between the time that we recorded this review and this introduction, however, Goodman Games participated in a humble bundle, giving a bunch of proceeds to charity. We would like to commend them on that effort. Because it's really it's a really great thing to do that not every company uh, takes an initiative in, and I really do think that they deserve credit for reaching out and giving some profits to those who need it more than we do. For sure, we're always going to support companies and individuals that go out of their way to support those in need. For this batch, our coffee is Cooper's Kenyan Blend uh, from Cooper's Coffee. We decided to rate it a 4 out of 5 untimely demises, and if you would like to hear a full review, including some tasting notes, you can listen to the beginning of last week's episode as well. Honestly, if you're listening to this episode before the gameplay, what are you doing? Come on, go back, listen to it, it's not that long, it's fine, then come back. Hey Cade, Cooper's, can you blend? Can you dig it? Because I can. Yeah. We're also auditioning for a new host. Um. <laughs> and if you would like to, uh, you know, put it in an audition for that host, you can reach out to cantripsandcoffee at gmail.com. We are also accepting reviews, questions for our next side table episode, and uh, basically any compliments or crippling criticisms you may want to throw at us. So make sure you hit us up there or on all of our social medias. For sure. The big one is obviously reviewing. The more you guys rate and review the podcast, the more people that we're going to get to see because that's how those platforms work. The higher rated a podcast gets, the more it gets pushed out to other people. So it helps us hugely. We're just a couple of guys in our basement trying to make this as awesome and reach as many people as possible. Uh, we We got kids and dogs to feed. Help us out. And with that, tabletop players, grab a mug, fill it full of the hot stuff, and settle in for our review of Dungeon Crawl Classics by Goodman Games. Hi everyone, Cade here. Just before we get into the episode, just a quick note. As you guys know, we are still new to the whole podcast game, and we are trying to improve every step of the way. Unfortunately, there are going to be some stumbles, and we had a couple of them with this episode. We brought on our first guest, and that led to a couple of technical issues that unfortunately made it so that our Overall sound quality is not quite what we would like it to be. We made it as best as we possibly can, and hopefully it's still a pleasurable listening experience for you guys. However, you are going to have to put up with a little bit of uh, sketchy audio for the first couple episodes of this batch. Deeply apologize, we've already corrected things moving forward, and things should be good in the future. Um, but yeah, 
unfortunately, this episode going to have a few issues. Hopefully, it's not too bad, um, and you guys still enjoy. Until next time, thank you very much, and enjoy the episode. session of dcc dungeon crawl classics by goodman games and uh yeah i don't i don't know about you guys but i had a lot of fun with this one if only because it's incredibly quirky uh what are your guys's basic thoughts after exiting that game um i enjoyed it i think it was a lot of fun it was definitely i don't, I don't know if i want to say like challenging but it was definitely not I don't know. It didn't feel like you were as overpowered as you can be in some tabletop role-playing games, uh, which I think is fun. I think it kind of adds to the the appeal of it. You're not this omni-powerful god. Kind of like what we talked about in the Cthulhu episode. Um, you're just a dude, and sometimes you're a dude with one leg, and uh, you just gotta make it through. <laughs> Somehow the only one of his squad <laughs> yep. that got out. <laughs> It was that second leg that made him. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Keep him humble. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I like the idea of rolling up like a like bunch of characters. I think four each was a lot. Like in the some of the modules I was looking at, it was like six characters spread amongst like three or four people. But like it was pretty cool to have like a whole stable of dudes and and imagining it like like the riotous mob of pitchfork farmers that were like, yeah, we got to go through this portal and try and finally make something of ourselves and just getting like slaughtered by every trap. It's like a neat way to thin the herd. I like the character creation system. It is like a little bit, um, I don't know, dicey and random, but I think that's part of the fun and it like could lead to interesting like things and you're like forced to role play and you have enough different characters that I think you could find one that you like, hopefully. You definitely have to keep yourself disconnected from characters, though. Don't get too attached, because I know that can be... Like, seeing so many um, characters die in other games, and how it can sometimes be for somebody to lose a character like that. These characters are not like that. You gotta keep them at arm's length until you... And I think they pre-warn you about that fairly well, you know? They say, don't get attached. Casualties will ensue. And, like... I feel, though, that it's kind of like, to make a comparison, like, Pokemon, where you, like, get this, like, level 2 Radita, and you're like, well, this isn't really that cool, and, like, I'll just put it out to block hits for, like, the guy that I enjoy. And then as you, like, do battles, he does something clutch, and then it's like, oh, wow, I'm actually starting to like this character. And that's how I feel about this. Like, sure, you might get attached to one at the start, but then they die, and then you're like, ah, I gotta use these other characters. And then they, like, do something cool in the adventure and it starts to, like, build their story and you, like, learn to love them more as their story unfolds instead of, like, having something cooked up in your head to begin with. Did we just establish that this is the Nuzlocke challenge of tabletop <laughs> role-playing games? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, and what you what you've all touched upon here is, is what they call their unique feature of the funnel system, right? The character funnel, and it's this idea that you're going to start with a large amount of characters, and then you're going to bring them down to or one or. Yeah, I mean, Jaden, you had three characters yeah. by the end, but you know, uh, all star. Yeah, you know, you basically do on the fly Darwinism to make them a hero, right? Um, and I think they really try to show you that randomization can actually bring about a really cool history for your character, right? Rather than starting with somebody. It occurred to me as I was planning this that, you know, with D&D, we all plan our backstories, you know, and we all say, well, he is this thing currently. He is a hero now. But, you know, back one day, he was he was just a regular old guy. But you never actually see that. Whereas this is forcing you to play upon. And and for some well, of us... Well, it's not like he stopped and played as farmers, though, right? No, but you, you had to at least consider yourself part, in that situation. Like, yeah. You're just like right? a little low low level type of thing it was kind of interesting to to try to picture like they got the occupations so like this little dude carrying around three suits of fine clothing yeah and his weapon was scissors i like that (laughs) they were all midday at their jobs they had to flip over the sign to close to go to the bar to listen to this guy speak who just ditched him in the end yeah yeah well, that's one thing that I made a note of while we were playing is I, I made the note of uh, blank slate role playing. Like you, you have such a blank slate because it doesn't tell you to make a backstory. You don't have your aspirations or your goals or anything like that. You have a career that was randomly assigned to you, and then you just have to kind of make that work. So, like the decision to make Tom this like weird little greedy goblin man with the personality of a stump, like. The personality was decided for me, but beyond that, it just kind of came up as we were playing. Like, it wasn't something that was pre-designed, which I think is cool. I think sometimes when you have to, um, like, come up with a backstory for your character, you kind of feel like you have to shoehorn it into gameplay uh, to make sure people know how hard you worked on this backstory. Whereas this, it was just like, nah, he's Gollum now. Uh (laughs) Or you get the situation where they're the the rogue with the tragic backstory you know yep (laughs) and it does say kind of right in the like description of the game that it's meant to be like an old school dungeon crawl game not like a role-playing skills game Mm -hmm. that's mostly like combat and traps and like getting through different like hostile areas rather than Mm -hmm. having like a bunch of skills and doing a lot of like talking and stuff which is cool, yeah, but also really, some people might enjoy that less. Yeah, it's a really um, drastic difference from last episode where we played Cthulhu and we saw this is the role player's dream, and yeah. this it, it's like role playing is not first and foremost <laughs> unless you are the referee or the judge, uh, and <laughs> then in which case everybody else it's it's combat. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like World War Two Russian. Throwing bodies at the German <laughs> line, trying to clog their machine guns with his bodies. That's but, how it uh, felt when we were fighting the clay guys, and the, and when we uh, took the equipment off of our dead allies. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the backstories. A pretty nice pair of boots. Exactly. The backstories felt a lot more specific, I can see, than like if we're comparing it to something like 
D&D where it's a very vague backstory you're supposed to, you you have that option to to flush it out like this one rather than having like large sort of broad terms for what you were doing before you had like oh you're specifically a yeah you're specifically this so it's a lot more uh, specific in the backstory of of exactly what you were well, and even looking at this, uh, the whole backstory, I mean, we had a situation in the story, or in the the scenario, rather, that, you know, Cade, you went, well, he figures out that he's a dwarf, and, and it's, we had this idea <laughs> that their class is also their race, so when they start at level zero, they're just a, a thing, I guess. Um, yeah, it doesn't really an amorphous blob. Really well, if their race is still their race at zero. Um, so we kind of said for some, you know, maybe they are, maybe they, they aren't. But let's get into that idea that in DCC, the race is the class. And I know, Alan, you have a really deep knowledge of the history of advanced Dungeons and Dragons. If I remember correctly, and maybe you can correct me, or if not, that's the same as AD&D, is it not? Where the race and the class were set, uh, were determined already? Uh, no, not really. Uh, well, you they were you could determine them uh, not randomly. The in this DCC game, you determine your your race at the same time you determine your occupation, and it's completely random. In in the other games, you got to pick. It in, wasn't in like D &D, it wasn't like was a not... specific thing. Well, that's what I mean, though. It, when you were in AD&D, was it the fact that if you were a dwarf or if you were a halfling, that was your class as well? It wasn't randomly generated, but it was that way? No, you still got the pick. Oh, did you? Yeah, I thought I See, thought there was something in there about, like, you know, halflings could never be a warrior or something like that. There were some things like that, but at the same time, in AD&D, there were also, like, specific stat modifiers for if you were a male and a female. Like, you got punished for being a female by taking your strength off to or like that. Ah, so the 80s. Was yeah. that okay? I said, ah, the 80s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a strange time for gender norms. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't quite the extent that this is. So these guys have, you know, taken it a step further than compared to AD&D and have really hammered in that your, your race is your class unless you're a human in which you can do whatever you want because only humans have autonomy yeah well well i think that the way that they did it in at least the D, &D races was that like uh humans like tended to specialize in one thing so that might be growing out of like the old ad and d type rules i don't really know but that's the way i looked at it i also well, kind of think that you can have the race and the class the way i like thought it worked was like you rolled for your occupation and if you rolled luckily on like elf door for halfling you got the race and then you still got to pick a class at level one but you had racial bonuses no there's literally a class called elf there's literally a class yeah. called halfling and that's what you yeah but they're you listed like separately if you know what i mean like they have the other classes in alphabetical order and they're like resets back to dwarf elf halfling but i don't know i might have just read it wrong been confused i mean that it could be a difference in how we're reading it so when so, i was reading uh, it it was literally uh humans get to pick the other races they're stuck in this sort of 
almost like um, there used to be an idea of like a monstrous race leveling up as a monster sort of thing. Oh no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it says it right at the very start. Yeah, yeah. The race me. is synonymous with their class. Yeah. So you level yeah, up as classes an elf, and races are one and the same. You are a wizard or an elf. And in terms of that's racist. D&D, I like thinking about 5e <clears throat> because in 5th edition, humans are the only ones that kind of get to choose where their modifiers go. Yeah, They get a plus one to all stats, and then they get another one to any one stat, I believe it is. And then you also get to, like, there's a variant where you get to pick a feat, and that's, like, a huge thing. Uh, whereas the other races are, like, plus two here, plus one here, that's it. So they're, like, kind I... of set out for you, so that's... The humans are just a bit more flexible in the... You know, in the introduction to this system, they really try to focus in on that. This is a, for lack of a better term, a hardcore system. You know, they talk about, you know, there are certain things that you're used to in other games that you don't get here, like attacks of opportunity and things like that. Um, And I wonder just, like... It almost seems like, and if I didn't know better, because this actually came out before 5th edition, it almost feels like they saw 5th edition and they were like, yeah, we don't like any of that. You know? <laughs> like, they didn't <laughs> like the direction that Dungeons & Dragons was going and really wanted to take it back to that gritty, again, dungeon crawl. Yeah, like when we were reading through the the, the quick start stuff here, it specifically went over at one point, like, you roll your stats... 3d6 no no 4d6 drop the lowest no um point by no this and it would like very specifically said like you roll them in order you don't mm-hmm. get to pick where they go you don't get to point by or any of that if you do it any other way it's not how we intended it and it's literally the point of the work. system though that's that's what i'm saying like the it harkens back to a time when you would discover the character when you were rolling it. Yeah. Except in this case, you don't get like there's no um, like you don't get to put your input anywhere in it. When you you don't get to roll your stats and then pick your class, you get to roll your stats and then roll for your unless you roll a human, in which case you can choose the class after you level up there. And it's really unfortunate that we didn't get into the, the magic system because I feel like that's a really huge, yeah. interesting part of this system. Um, every time you cast a spell, um, even if it, even if you successfully cast it, there are certain things. The mercurial effect is, is really interesting. So, like, if you cast a spell, one of your fingers melts off. If you cast a spell <laughs> like that, you can heal yourself just by casting a spell properly with the Breath of Life one. Uh, that spell killer, it's it's like a, a almost like a, a, a storyline type of thing where like thousands of people die in some far off universe. It reminds yeah. me of Miss Brotherhood. It's like you're casting this spell and you know that it's costing lives of another universe and like somebody's going to come to you when you go to sleep and beg you to stop casting this spell. I actually almost like it better the other way where like you don't know that's happening and one day you go somewhere and you find out and it's like you know it's linked to every spell all of a sudden so you're just like oh no (laughs) sanity roll please so when you you learn the spell 
Um, you roll on the table to see what the mercurial effect is going to be for that character casting that. Uh, so two pe- uh, two characters casting the same spell could have different side effects with that mercurial. So one dude could lose his fingers, the other dude could kill thousands with his spell. But even more interesting is the uh, if you fail, um, number one, you lose the spell for the day, which is kind of like a harsh failure rate. But because you don't have spell slots, it's kind of like, okay, that's kind of almost like a fair trade. Um, but the corruption is the other thing that was really kind of interesting. Um, if you roll a natural one on these spells, your character starts getting really messed up by these spells. Like, uh, you could def- develop horrible pustules and get a, get a permanent minus one penalty to your personality. <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh. Or like, um, um, if you roll on this uh, minor corruption table, a seven, you get uh, chills. So your character shakes constantly and cannot remain quiet due to chattering teeth. Like, I feel like that imposes a disadvantage. Just really interesting things that happen when you cast spells, but zero level yeah. characters can't really cast spells, so we didn't get into it. Which was kind of well, and we also saw that with the cleric, they begin to gain disapproval with their god, their deity, yeah. and their natural yeah. level for failure also goes up every time they fail. So instead of being a crit on a one, it can be a two or a three or however high. And eventually, eventually you become a full out. heretic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of see it as like a roguelike tabletop game in a way where it's like... I almost feel you could do like as many sessions as you can until all your characters die. And it's like, okay, then we restart and we see if we can get to like level eight next time or whatever, you know? Yeah. And like the more times you do it, the better, like you get it, like getting your weak characters through the beginning part. And then you have like a full army for the level one adventure and you can just crush it out. Yeah. That's one thing I was thinking was that this system seems to lend itself to a lot of replayability. Yeah. Like if your whole team gets killed, it's very easy for you to just re-roll into the exact same campaign with a different group of villagers and just say like, "Oh, all those people died. We should probably send more people to go and recover them." And yeah, you could just, just play it again. Whereas I, I think that grinder. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like, you know, a lot of D&D modules and I imagine a lot of Cthulhu modules, once you've played through it once, you kind of know everything and the fun of playing it again isn't really there unless you're playing with a totally new group of like players but with this you could probably just keep throwing people at it and even if you beat it you know you run through with a new group of villagers because they're randomly rolled you're gonna have just as much trouble as you did the first time it could be interesting to to use this system as like a supplement something else like the level Mm. zero system specifically as like a horde of like bandits that your players are controlling in another system Mm mm-hmm yeah one thing i know we've been talking a lot about like the things that we really liked about it but something that i know a lot of us had a tough time with was the whole character creation itself because in the quick start it's it was not laid out super clearly (laughs) um yeah like i know i wasn't the only person that definitely thought that our ac was zero uh, until like really late game when we found out that oh wait unarmed is actually 10 um And yeah, like it, it was not laid out well. I know that Ruin was saying that he had to look up a ton of rules on the back end for like the DM. Um, so if and we're like know, critiquing the the quick start itself, 
it was not as well laid out as some things, and it seems like it was really trying to push us to get the full system itself. We we previously complained about in the Cthulhu review that the problem there was that they mentioned a couple things, and then it just kind of left. Here, we have that, but on a grand scale. One of the unique features that we didn't even talk about yet is the fact that this system is supposed to use what's called Zochi dice. It has a dice chain where, depending on the situation, instead of getting advantage on a roll where you get to roll 2d20s, you might get to roll a different die. And it's more than just, you know, well, I had a d20, so I'm going to roll a d12 or something like that right it actually goes into zochi dice which are a larger dice pool where they have anything from a d3 and a d7 up until a d24 d30 and the idea being that if you have a better chance of winning at something you roll a larger die than a d20 and if you have a worse chance of getting something you roll a smaller die like perhaps a d16 which means that if you needed a 17 to win on something you automatically fail um and that's mentioned so heavily in the beginning because it's supposed to be what this system is kind of based around for being a cool, different die rolling mechanic. It's nowhere in the level zero. And yeah. you have not only that totally absent, but then yes, you have some other rules that they're either there and the layout of the annual is not as apparent as it needs to be as the saving throws and the AC which are there but not where you would think you would need to find them in the character creation um, but then you also just have that they're just not there at all and yeah several things we had to look up and say well when, when does this situation occur? Yeah like mm -hmm. when we were looking for uh, criticals um, especially on the Zochi dice system it seems like a, a real detriment to trying to get your criticals because you can still roll that fumble on any of the dice because the one's always there and the smaller the dice you use the higher chance you fumble right but according to the rules that we found even if you roll the d30 which is your like biggest best dice that you want to roll you have a smaller chance of rolling a critical hit on that than anywhere else and if you roll anything lower than a d20 uh, unless you're a halfling, because they have a special rule where you get to roll uh, on your your d16, you can roll a critical hit if you if you roll a 16. Um, but if you roll smaller dice, there's no way to get that critical hit. But there's always that fear of the fumble. So, and it's it's like there are detriments to rolling the big dice as well as major detriments to rolling this dice. And of course, everyone knows you don't want to be rolling the smaller dice. It is like a active detriment. So. Mm -hmm. And there might be like a lore explanation there, you know, saying like, well, if you're rolling a bigger die and something actually requires a bigger die to hit the AAC value, then, you know, of course your critical hit chance isn't going to go up because they're stronger and, and more resilient. But it's also like, well... But what's the point? If I get a 20, I'm going to hit them no matter what. I feel like kind of in defense of the critiques of the quick start rules, like I definitely agree. Like the character creation wasn't really laid out that great. And there's like some parts where it's like referring back to stuff either in the beginning or things in the beginning refer to stuff way at the end that it's like confusing to jump between. But like 
they kind of i think they're assuming that if you're playing this you're pretty familiar with like basically D D or, or like tabletop systems in general and uh like the on the armor class thing right like if if you played like a lot of D D, like like armor class is 10 and like like armor class is like for armor is like ascending like leather one hard leather two like chainmail three and it's a lot of stuff that's like really familiar if you'd like played a lot of D D. and there's a lot of information they're trying to condense into these like 44 slim pages so i kind of like feel for their struggle of trying to lay this out it was a lot easier i think to have the pdf copy because you can just control f and search everything you need and like bounce back and forth through it yeah and in their defense they are a much smaller company than cthulhu like we have to remember that cthulhu had been around for you know seven editions and this is still the first um and and they are a small company you look at their website and um, they produce several titles but i think the crew that's working on them is more contained yeah Yeah. so one thing that I also I noticed and I feel like it's worth bringing up because I don't know if it's something that they intended, but as we played the game, it slowly devolved into a comedy, <laughs> um, and I feel like with like a lot of the difficulty that they've got in there, it, it's meant to be a, a serious game, but for us, just like how ridiculous our characters ended up being and how ridiculously overpowered they were it kind of became a farce partway through which was a lot of fun for us but if that's not something that they intended then i feel like that's something that's worth mentioning is like it was harder to take this seriously when i had you know the goblin man and a one-legged dwarf who didn't know he was a dwarf and a person with carrying around a chicken, you know, like not to mention, like the first yeah. thing that happened was somebody immediately died by touching the portal too soon. Yeah, exactly. See, I like love it, that. it became <laughs> like as soon as yeah, and I loved it like, too. Oh, okay, that's how it's gonna be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, and I loved it. I thought it was absolutely hilarious, and I had a lot of fun with it. But if that's not what they were intending, like if they meant for this to be like a more serious kind of. You know, Dungeons and Dragons has its humor, but was, for the most part, you're, you know, your adventurers going into battle and everything like that. If that's what they were going for, I feel like it kind of missed the mark with that and became more of a comedy. I, I feel like it. us as players use the, like, making funny characters as a detachment mechanism so that when they die, we can laugh it off personally i'd say like we could easily like take it super seriously and create like four characters that were like grizzled like farmers who joined the militia or something but in this session we didn't (laughs) yeah also like a lot of the art in the in the book is that kind of goofy old style like uh like it looks like the original D &D manuals like yeah i love the art style in here oh it's fantastic art style but it is interspliced with little comics poking fun at yeah. the situation, you know? Yeah, like on yeah the, you uh, can tell Crit they have a sense of humor. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, Crit Table 2, it has a comic of a guy being uh, basically grappled by a tentacled fungi, and he says to his partner, I don't care about the delicate ecosystem, just kill the darn thing. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, but I do, I know, I, I mentioned in the Discord amongst ourselves that I found that it seemed like it would be a mixture of Monty Python meets the Scooby-Doo hallway chase scenes, you know, like 
That was yeah. kind of the chicken with the head cut off running around. But, you know, Dr. Jody here has also mentioned a good point that it is a coping mechanism as well as, you know, we could have totally said, no, we're going to play it straight laced and, you know, that's it. Honestly, as soon as the first trap went off, I did go into like serious dungeon crawl roleplay mode. I was like, okay, I got a 10 foot pole. I'm touching everything I got with it. Like, I, there's a trap here, Kate, putting stones in that. Like, I started metagaming the second that like one of Jaden's characters got killed on like touching the first door. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to treat everything like it has a landmine underneath it. As soon mm -hmm. as you brought up that 10 foot pole, I thought we were going to get serious. And you were gonna start like tapping every stone, stone uh, <laughs> in front of us, which is something that that people used to do with ten foot poles. Is yeah, touch the cobblestone, and if they moved, it would actually trap ten feet ahead, and that would be a whole thing. Or like run your your dagger around a door to check, and then yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, let's get into uh, the actual encounters themselves. Then you know you said. Jody yourself that you started to take it uh, seriously. Now, Jaden, I know that you yourself, you had kind of a <laughs> mixture of it. You had okay, they're going to group together and be tactical to help their compatriots but then you also had uh, one of them riding a goat into battle. So it, you know, <laughs> what crossed your mind every time you stepped up to the plate to try to fight something? Uh, it was hard. I mean, I think like Cade was saying that this game comes off kind of silly. I feel like it does have a super pulpy vibe, so I was like <laughs> wanting to kind of lean into that with the goat thing and stuff like that but overall when things kind of got more serious and you were we were dying and three guys go down at once it just seems way more important right like it doesn't yeah. feel important until the moment it gets important in this game and it gets important quick and so like i was all over the place with that i didn't know what way to take it until the moment that it was just kind of going down and it felt that tactical made sense but then might as well throw some fun in there yeah 100 well, percent it's hard to be tactical when you roll a character that has one HP. Yeah. Like, all right, well, I'm not going to bother. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Stubs his toe on some cobblestone, immediately collapses and dies. Here's the thing, though, is it's like, like I was saying, like it's like a roguelike where your stats are random and having that one HP doesn't mean that you can't be tactical. It forces you to think tactically because you're so weak that you have to use like every little bit of advantage at your disposal to actually make it through like using the random items that you're given to like try and solve puzzles in the world i think it adds to the tension honestly i totally agree with what Jaden said that like as soon as it got real it was like oh hey like my like survival instincts kicked in and all of a sudden i was taking it more seriously and like i loved how lethal the traps were and how everything kind of just started happening yeah, and like it didn't seem to matter too much how well, like how good your stats were. Like my only character that survived had my lowest stats. He's a cripple. He like he was on crutches for Christ's sake. One of my guys that died in one shot had like the highest armor class, the <laughs> highest health, and he got like one shot right in front of my eyes in the same turn that one of my other guys died. But my weakest character is the one that made it through just by the way it happened to work. So that randomness kind of forces you. You can't, you know, max minute. You can't, you know, figure out ahead of time. Like, okay, this is the one that's probably going to live. So I'm going to make sure that he gets the fancy new spear and the fancy new armor and all the new stuff. Because he's going to die in one shot just like everybody else. <laughs> See, I, I kind of, I, like, I agree with you on three out of my four guys. 
But on one, I actually rolled like good stats with like five HP, which is pretty much the max. And like yeah. I did give him all of the like scale mail and stuff oh. that we found. So I kind of like min maxed while we were in the middle of the adventure. No. And he's like, he only survived because of that, you know? So no. like I agree no. because the my only yeah. other character that survived was the one with the lowest stats. So like yeah. I it's not really disproving your theory at all. I think we just, we just didn't use those really weak characters for anything. We yeah. thought they were gonna that something was about to happen and everyone's gonna take one damage and half of our guys are gonna die. I honestly like when I lost two characters in one round and all I had left was Bert the Cripple. I was like, I called it. I said we were having a TPK. Like I thought we were all toast. <laughs> I'm so oh, glad he survived though. I was oh, yeah. cheering for him when he got attacked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was actually one more room that you didn't hit that would yeah. have been uh, it had a giant snake monster in it that you guys could have like ganged up on and it still had a lot of attack. Um, I, and I was worried, especially after the first door and yeah. then one of you almost being destroyed by a fireball, I was like, yeah, TPK, calling it. Now. And then three, all three of us lost a character to that collapsing floor because we got greedy with the gems. I was, Frank should have survived, man. <laughs> Frank should have survived. I can't believe he got oh, killed on the way <laughs> So there, there is actually the a point that I, I realize now that I was a little unclear on the rules as the judge, and, and that was that technically Cade crit failed on what he was trying mm -hmm. to do. So was I supposed to allow him to roll on a crit failure table or was that only for combat and it's possible i missed that rule but you know it obviously worked as a, a hilarity um, yeah ensuing yeah. situation but uh I, it was a little unclear there and i think just a little bit of wording choices and stuff could make mm -hmm. a lot of difference yeah yeah and that's the stuff that gets fixed in future editions like we said this is the first edition those wording things that are unclear are the things that they take as feedback and then when they do you know 2e they're gonna fix that kind of stuff. So absolutely, yeah. D and D was a built-in day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and realistically, that is like the Rome of uh, yeah. role-playing games. Mm -hmm. I I also know I you know I feel empathy for them in this because this last summer when we played that you know gigantic Cthulhu scenario mm -hmm. campaign. Uh, I built myself a manual so that I could just quick search through everything when things would yeah. happen because you were able to go mm -hmm. off in branching paths and you get to situations where I wrote it two months ago, but I'm reading it now and I'm like, what the heck did I mean by that? No. Um, so I, I agree with you. You know, they, they have the chance to make this into something clearer, but also really reinforcing what it does. Well. Mm -hmm. I think it leaves a lot of agency too, up to like the people playing it. It's like kind of like, you know, old school tabletop games where it wasn't all like necessarily defined. Like the GM is the god of the world and they make it up, you know. Well, I believe there's a story about Gary Gygax and they would, you know, people would call him up and say, Gary, what's yes. what's the ruling on this? And essentially his answer came down to, well, what do you think should happen? And the person right. would explain it and he'd be like, yes, that. And that was always his answer. It didn't matter what you said. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say like one more thing specific to the encounters that the trap encounters were very like cool. It harkens back to the kind of old days where they weren't necessarily like 
weird castle straws. Like a thing that just like <laughs> you roll on a random table and it's like poison dart, one d six plus poison. They were like actually like lethal floor falls, you die traps, and like mm-hmm. I will say though on that point that the lack of like a skill system in this game where it's all just like you describe what you want to do and do an ability check or something similar like a reflex save or whatever. It's uh kind of makes figuring out what you can and can't do and what you use for things yeah. like either more complicated or just more like up to the GM's discretion so which I-, I don't necessarily like or dislike it's just something I noticed like you have to add skills from a D&D book to your characters if you wanted to then go and like do any serious specialization or like mm-hmm. like skill role playing yeah when well, I that was- skills, go ahead Alan. when I think of skills I think they are just almost like giving you examples on what you can do with your rank. Like, yeah, I agree. And you can do athletics. That's a skill based on your strength. You can be really good at it, at proficiency. Blah blah blah. But um, that's a that's a, a almost like an example of what you could do with a strength check sort of thing. So that kind of helps people say like, oh, this would be like an athletics check. And going further down, if you remember 3 and 3.5 edition, of, they had skills like for climb and swim and all of that, which was just like almost like putting a, a, a microscope over the what you can do with a strength check. Yeah. And, and it was getting very specific. So each level up is like a, a more broader term. And this one doesn't have any skills in it. So you have to think about like specifically running the game as a dm that puts a lot on the dm as to okay what is the obviously it's a strength agility stamina Mm -hmm. sort of system but the uh the different versions of D have a lot more uh narrow what kind of checks like moving and i found that as the judge i found that that was a point of consternation for myself was I didn't know if we just weren't given skills because they were level zero or if it just lacked that whole, you know, precise skill check to begin with. And I didn't really see outside of when you guys have classed up where they gave you specific skills, if there was a list of skills or if I was supposed to use my judgment about what it would be and just making up a skill. But to the credit of that is it led to situations where you know, we had to look at each other and say, would you agree that it would be this check? And so it kind of developed that whole judge keeper dungeon master relationship that games try to give you, but most of them just leave it up to the, the, the judge in the end. Anyways, you know, you have that conversation back and forth. Whereas here it's almost necessary. Yeah. You just have very, very broad where you're going. Yeah, I think that makes it a lot more of like just like a DIY kind of system, right? Like you said, like the old D&D kind of Gary Gygax, he'd give you whatever answer you, whatever you told him was the answer you thought was right. Because I think that they just had a big idea that it's not like this isn't our game. You play it the way we tell you to. It's this is everyone's game and you're going to kind of figure it out yourself a little bit. And then give you a lot of freedom, right? It can, it, it can be scary if you want to have a nice roadmap to follow. But if you want to just go... F- you know, out there and do whatever you feel like, it gives you all that options to do whatever you want, right? And I think that that can be really powerful for the right kind of person. Yeah. And as somebody who primarily is the keeper of 
Cthulhu, that's frightening to me because their stories are so complex, the onion peeled mystery that I'm used to, yes and. Whereas this is kind of like, well, you tell me. And, and so if we're looking at our world building, I came away from this thinking that like the world really is in your control more than ever. Yes, you start out randomly, but it's almost like that encourages you to take that random character and make them grow from there. How do you guys feel about, you know, being able to have autonomy in this fantasy world? I feel like it's Yeah, I feel like it's not necessarily about that at all. I feel like, like they took the autonomy out of it in terms of creating your character. There was no autonomy. Robots could have created my character just as well as I could. It was just a matter of ro- randomly rolling. There was no me picking anything. But I've and said I it a so bunch of times that I think that that's like the fun of it. And yeah, I, guess I think if your players... People, that could be the fun part. But for people who... like Everyone knows there's, there's like power gamers, people who like to min-max. And this is not the game to play yeah. if you do that. And I'm very much mm-hmm. that kind of person, so I, I don't want to say hate, but I really did not like just going with whatever the dice rolled for me. Um, yeah. See, and like me, I don't like to max min. I, I'm more of a role player than a like. I want to be the best at this game. That's just my personal preference. And for me, I liked this because it took away any kind of pressure to like make the right decisions. It was like, nope, this is just what I got, and I have to make it work. And I, I liked that because, it, again, it allowed me to kind of have a wide range of, like, okay, what would this character do as opposed to, like, what am I going to do to make sure I get through this battle and I don't screw up the rest of the team? Yeah, like, um, instead of looking forward to what kind of build you can make, or looking forward to what kind yeah. of things shape. Yeah, and for the kind of... Yeah, and for the kind of player that I am, I like that. But like, you more. you can just use the random variables of your character to then prospect future builds. Like, what kind of mm-hmm. items do I need to make this guy like go farther down his path? To be like, oh, I rolled high agility, so he's a, a thief. I rolled high like yeah. strength. Another like, thing we uh, kind of missed out on with the spell system. They have a system called spell burn. Which is where you yeah. burn your character away. Yeah. Increase your, your your spell. So if you want to make your character like a spellcaster, um, and you don't roll high enough, you can be like, okay, this is like clutch time. I'm gonna give you permanently two points of strength to add a plus two to my ability. And in like the world, you can see that as like the the spell, like your determination, anime mm-hmm. style, like. The spell burns away at your arm, yeah, permanently causing you minus two to agility or some shit like that. It's well, and yeah. you do have other instances of sacrifice from your characters, and, and you know, Jody, you mentioned this while we were playing. You can sacrifice your attribute scores in order to give yourself a better role on something, and so there's this idea yeah. that like your character actually does suffer from their adventures. Yeah, norm- normally it's just like the luck that you. <clears throat> sacrifice they did say yeah. that in other character classes you like a warrior you could use i think it was strength or something like there was other ones if you were the right class yeah and i think like as far as world building and like character backstories and motivations and yada yada it's like it's not really like the system for it and like you're not starting off with it says like right it says right in the description like it's just a dungeon crawl you're not 
here to listen to a big speech and like figure out your political motivations. You're here to just like roll some stats, go in, see if you can beat the traps, see if you can beat the enemies. If you can, sweet. Yeah. If you can't, well, I guess we'll try again and see if we can get to level one next time. The first line in the manual is, you're no hero. You know, you are an adventurer. And I guess where I stand with this, and again, it would be interesting for me to play from a, par- a player perspective, is that, yes, you are locked behind a, a randomization for character at the beginning, but if I were to try to play as a, as a character beyond the level zero, I would then start thinking about, okay, what are my motivations now for going to the next next adventure? Is it that I am just, you know, that I am a, a cut purse, uh, or sorry, a, yeah, a cut purse or a reaver, like the back of the book says, or the front of the book? I would start thinking, okay, now is my chance to role play if I'm into that. But I also agree with all of you that the system doesn't really encourage role play outside of yeah. perhaps the judge. Yeah, I, the, I feel like the maybe the best way I would use this is as as a supplement to like a D and D game sort of thing, like maybe to give you give characters minions. Or something like that, or to start a campaign, it would be really interesting to start a campaign. Yeah, that's exactly um, what I was if thinking. You're, if you're creating your own world, this magic system is really interesting. It has a lot of really cool and interesting effects that we didn't get to actually use in the actual play, but it, it would definitely be worth uh, a look if you and put it in your own world. Absolutely, and I'd love to see what their other modules would actually. Said before, I do have a level one adventure, which came with the free RPG day physical printout. Um, so perhaps at another time we can look at that. Um, as for now, though, what about accessibility? Who is this game designed for? Is it designed for your vets, or is it designed for people who are looking for uh, a new game outside of what the popular? I think it's designed for old school RPG players who don't want to commit to a full campaign and rolling a character to play for 20 sessions that they might never get to. It's more like, yeah. hey, you guys want to like go clear a dungeon on Saturday, like drink some beers, get some pizza, and like you just go as far as you can go, you know? If you can get through the first level dungeon, cool. You can come back and like play these guys to level 3 next weekend. But I don't really think it's geared towards new, like totally new role players. And I don't think it's really geared toward people that want to go and like live a character and like interact with the world and like go on all kinds of like social adventures you know so i could see this being good for two specific types of people the first one is the one shot throwing meat into a grinder like throwing these characters into a grinder sort of people who just play one shot they roll new characters every time they start at level zero they throw them into a grinder, and then they get to, like, maybe level one, level two, and that's it. But the other people, because of how cool that using your ability modifier, or, like, your strength and agility and stamina and all that stuff as, like, a resource to spend different ways, um, I could definitely see it as the guys who liked the, um, the finding your character when you roll it, those guys, like the you roll 3d6 and you put it in your strength then agility and then you find the character by rolling it i could see going all the way up to level 10 with those guys yeah and the magic system itself would be worth 
seeing what you get up to. I would re be really interested in in seeing the full book and seeing what kind of like magic spells are in the book because of the way the magic system. Yeah. Those, those second groups is like the people who want to see what kind of crazy shit you can. Do. And we had mentioned that you know the spells, uh, Jody. You did a, a word count on one of them, and it was eight hundred and fifty words. Eight hundred ninety-three words to describe a spell and what can happen when you cast it. Yeah. And that was just holy sanctuary. <laughs> oh, so I think magic system. Yeah, I think if you were a kid in the late seventies, early eighties when D and D came out, and you enjoyed it, and then haven't played D and D since. And it'd been like, man, it'd be fun to get back into it. I feel like this is, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but I feel like it would scratch how it felt when you were a kid very similarly. Because I think as an adult, if you go back to one of, like, the original system, you'd be like, oh, this is actually not as, you know, you want wondrous or whatever as it felt. You want something it'd be like character driven. Yeah, it'd be like if you were a Pokemon fan when Red and Blue came out and then you never played it, any of the other ones, and you went back and picked up Let's Go Eevee. It would be like how you thought Pokemon was when you were a kid, but now that you're an adult. Which actually is a I also comparison think... because I feel like people going from first to fifth would feel like there was something lacking or something mm -hmm. be too accessible to it. And I, and a lot yeah. of people felt that way if going to the latest Pokemon editions of Where Is Everything or This Is Not What I Wanted. Yeah. yeah. The other group that I think would enjoy this is if you're the kind of person that likes games like Kingdom Death Monster where it's a miniatures role-playing game where your people are not expected to survive. You do not get attached to your characters. They will die, and then you roll a new character in a similar world, and you try again. Okay. And like I said, the the meat grinder, like you said. But I think if you enjoy that kind of game, but don't have the hundreds of dollars to throw at Kingdom Death Monster because that game is stupid expensive, this would be a good substitute for you until you know you can save your pennies. So yeah, <clears throat> I would say that I... this is a. Oh, sorry about that. No, go for it, Jane. Oh, I was just going to say that. I think the best people for this is, like, anyone who's got, like, a super tactical, want to really think things through mindset, just because of how swingy it seems like everything is. And I'm sure even as you get into higher levels, you're probably not that much farther away from death. Like, you probably get a little further and further, but probably is rough. So I think it's that if you really want to put in some hard, you know, thought, right? Like, the old-style harder math. Not really that the math is that hard, but some people seem to always associate these games with hard math, but, you know, just more math in general and just you got to really think about what you're doing you ain't just going to run around and so many more of the modern ones you can pretty much do whatever you want and shy of jumping off a cliff you're not going to die right you don't have to be so worried unless something really big comes up but this if you wanted like to, a bed yeah like a bed <laughs> like i totally agree like you could look at it like these are throwaway characters that don't matter or you can look at it as like this is my little army that I got, and like I have to do my best with it and use every advantage to the fullest possible potential, and try and get through like a challenge run almost, not like a meat grinder, but more like a, this is my unfortunate set of circumstances. I got to overcome it, and like I personally love stuff like that. Like any game that I play is like pretty masochistic, so but, but I enjoyed this a lot. We we just played the level zero stuff, so we yeah. get, get to see what happens. Exactly. 
Like, uh, mm -hmm. thinking back to advanced D&D, &D, when you got to level 10 as a fighter, you became, like, your characters became, like, members of the world. They got, like, the fighter got a keep, and he got a piece of land, and he was, like, somebody, like a, like a dude. Yeah. yeah. The wizard was, like, this crazy wizard's tower Merlin-style thing that affected mm -hmm. the world. Yeah. And I would not be surprised if you opened that book and it gave you a bunch of stuff at level 10. Like, so, uh, at those higher levels to make them more important. But at the low levels, it is very much like a meat grinder. Very much like cautious yeah, wrong and you lose the character. Especially because, like, in the rules, um, once you clear level zero and you get to level one, you your characters don't die flat out. They have, like, sort of that saving throw type of thing. Yeah, okay. At level zero, if you drop the zero hit points, there's no saving that character. Yeah. It, the phrasing is irrevocably killed. Yeah. Um, you know, so, okay, to bring that back, then, is, you know, we're saying that this is for people who are looking for something a little bit different or somebody who is looking to return back to the roots of D&D, &D, which... Um, they actually do claim is the intention of this system. Mm -hmm. You have essentially a $91 plus shipping CAD price point and you need to either buy a Zochi dice set or have an app that will do it for you or do the math in your head, uh, which is an extra step. I would have is loved this to something that you guys would look at purchasing? For me, personally, I don't know if I would, just because comparing it to other, you know, tabletop role-playing systems that I've played, I don't think that this one grabs me strong enough to put that kind of investment in. Um, again, it's, I like aspects of it, but I don't think that, for me, it's enough to kind of want to throw that much money in. I would go and pick something else instead that I could, you know have a little bit more fun with i think maybe in a few editions when they kind of refine the system a little bit and fix some of those things that we've brought up as being issues it might be but for me again just like interest to dollars comparison i think it's a little bit too steep for me personally i uh honestly was already looking at some modules to potentially order so <laughs> i i would put a yes onto this there's thing. your answer yeah. um, i'm kind of i would say that to order the full, like to pay a hundred dollars to start off, it, that would be kind of a steep investment. But I feel like if if you're attracted to it and know enough about D and D to be able to kind of run it from like head canon, you know, like house rules almost, or just to like use the rules in their basic guide and flesh it out as you go. I'd totally do it. I would buy like even just the basic rules for a like Alan said, a supplement to a D and D campaign. Like, I think it would be very interesting as we were talking about to start a campaign by doing this like uh, trial by elimination, and the last one alive then becomes like your character that you play in a wider campaign. So, I think that'd be a very interesting challenge run. So I would say yes, I would buy it, but I'm a openly admitted fan of the more hardcore and kind of like old school combat focused not like spend 
your whole time creating your character and role playing kind of games. So I would, yeah, buy it. For me here, like Jody was saying, I would buy it as a supplement to use in my D&D campaign if we had a group that was sort of like the odd men out, like not everybody can make it. I would use this to create some minions to put into our main um, D&D campaign that would like show up at the Adventurer's Guild and be like a um, not subservient that you minions. Mean, yeah, minions. Thank you. Like they could be like minions for D and D characters. That would be really interesting. Almost like a, uh, like just like a one shot sort of thing. It would definitely be worth it. And talking about the price point, a hundred dollars is only twenty twenty five bucks more than your player's handbook for D and D. So yeah, say the, the difference being for D and D that you're buying two manuals to do everything that this one tries to do. Yeah. Well, all you need for D&D is the player's handbook. Don't really need to think. But with D&D, you are getting a much more polished product. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. There's also yeah. like a lot more that you could... Every additional book you have for D&D adds a lot to it. Like, you might think you need the DM book. You don't actually need it, but it adds a lot, and that's why people need to yeah. add Jaden, what, what about yourself? Are you looking at investing in this anytime soon? I really do like it. I think it's pretty wicked. I would say that I would wait until a second edition if they did one major change, which I found we talked a lot about the magic system being really awesome. And I totally agree. I think it's super cool and really expansive. But I think the thing that that kind of sucks is it really overblows just the normal melee combat. Like Otherwise, melee combat is just normal attacking and then with a yeah. crit or a fumble and that's it compared to like 86 words per spell plus six different charts you can roll on for everything that rolls out with it and so i think <laughs> that it is like you know that there's more risk to using magic so it makes sense if they're trying to show the risk reward to it versus the combat being just a little bit more straightforward i just think for depending on your characters like if you're a just a warrior you're gonna be like okay i attack twice and i i crit once that's cool i get something extra whereas this wizard every time he casts a spell is a potential for some really crazy yeah. stuff to happen. Well, the the warrior had those D die though, and that kind yeah. of mm -hmm. an interesting kind of system in there. Yeah, like I think there is stuff that tries to level it. I just feel like that I could be totally wrong. Obviously, only playing with the level zero characters. Who even knows if we got further in? Maybe it wouldn't feel that way. But just from the quick start, I feel that it feels like it's second fiddle to magic in a certain sense. Like they really mm -hmm. thought out the magic. Which I don't blame them. It's cool and really how how cool can you make swinging a sword? But I think that they could put some and effort into that more. Very similar to what people were saying about fantasy and D. Like, why would you mm -hmm. ever not play yeah. You only yeah. have a fighter mm -hmm. to take the hit. There's, there's yeah. a reason why fireball is a meme nowadays, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, from my perspective on this, uh, I have actually been looking at the price of this and saying <laughs> I wouldn't mind investing in it because it seems just within that range of um a reasonable starting point especially knowing that there aren't too many things you need after that you know like with D&D I'm always like oh I could get this module or this one or this one and even with Cthulhu you know which has a much stronger higher uh, starting point for entry um you know you're always kind of looking around for are there modules whereas this one I feel like really is I'm going to design that dungeon on some grid paper on Friday night. I'm going to have the boys over on Saturday and we're just going to get her done, you know? Yeah. And 
I, I really do like that idea. I like the idea that I could just, like Jody had said, have a weekend to just kill some level zero characters and have fun. So from my point, I would look at investing with this, knowing that I would have to do a lot of on-the-fly rulings. And mm-hmm. so if I was a beginner, I would probably stay away from it. If I mm-hmm. was in the state I am now or even more experienced, I would look at purchasing it as a once-in-a-while, throw it down and have some. And with that, I believe we're done for the night.